I, I think the biggest challenge facing the church is kind of, uh, I just call it the secular squeeze. This is Pastor Mark Jasinski with Out of the Coal Mine. Thank you for joining us today for today's discussion. Last episode with evangelist Keith Darrell. Glad you're with us. And so I have three random questions. I'll ask, I'll ask them. You can answer them in any order that you want. Okay. So you're going to ask me three in a row, then I answer in any order I want? I'll just ask you three in a row. Okay. Yeah. And so answer any of them, none of them. Go off on a tangent. I don't care. Okay. But first one is this, the state of the church you've answered in previous podcasts. Uh, what is the number one challenge you see the church facing in the days ahead? Second. Uh, we've seen a lot of pastors fall, uh, even quit through COVID, but even feels like each time you show up, there's another big figure pastor that's off the main stage for some moral failure, theological issue. If churches have these books of these prominent teachers, should they be removed from the wall, from their walls, from their bookshelves, uh, if they've fallen? And, uh, and finally, what's your plans? What, what, what do you have going on after this? Okay, so uh, what was the first one again? Ah, <laughs> so kind of state of the church oh, and what you see is maybe one of the biggest challenges the church is facing coming up. Yeah, so I, I, I think the biggest challenge facing the church is kind of, uh, I just call it the secular squeeze, because it's not your immediate, it's not like we're going to be thrown to lions, I don't think, anytime soon, or being set on fire in, in a coliseum. Uh, we, we, the, the much bigger challenge that we have is just the daily faithfulness of being marginalized. That if you speak up on Christian ethics, it's like, oh, you're a bigot. Um, oh, you're a racist. And like, and that's the thing, like, how long can people stand being called racist, sexist, anti-gay? Like, it's not going to... And, and so that those are sorts of things you're like, ah, it's just not worth the fight now. So I'm just going to be quiet. So I think the biggest challenge facing the church in the kind of the middle and even say next 10, 15 years is the willingness to remain faithful to a Christian witness amidst just kind of the subtle marginalization. So it's not going to be major because it's almost easier. Like when I'm on campus preaching, honestly, it's easy to go get punched for Jesus. It's easy to go get like uh, stuff thrown on you. Um, but it's when you have to show up to work day in, day out. And you're just like, ah, you know, I'm just going to be quiet. Uh, you know, I'm just going to be quiet. Like, I think that's a much bigger challenge we're going to have because then that's going to bleed over to the pulpit where the guy's like, do I want to talk about this issue again? Do I want to bring up this again? And so I think the biggest issue facing us is that that we need just a continued faithfulness, that we need to embrace the foolishness. And part of it is like coming into Easter and the death of Jesus. I've been thinking a lot about First Corinthians 1 and just the whole idea that we have to be willing to say the cross is weakness. You know what I mean? Because even right now, I'm all for masculinity, but even trying to become masculine is not the answer. Cause like you look at the cross of Christ, you're like, ah, it's kind of weak. You know what I mean? Are we willing to go, go and die rather than just like go and fight? Am I willing to lay down my life for my enemies or do I just want to go fight my enemies? And so we have to navigate even like masculinity. I'm kind of glad there's been a rise from Jordan Peterson and stuff like that. Like, Oh wow, men need to be responsible and take care of their homes and stuff like that. But do we have men who are willing to die or just want people who just want to fight? So we don't want Christianity to be turned into bravado and machismo, uh, but we want it to be a genuine consistent witness to the cross of Christ. Um, um, and then from there, you know, uh, we're going to lack the world's wisdom. Like it's foolishness to the Greeks and it's weak to the to the Jews. And so I, I think the thing that we're facing the most is, are we willing to embrace what the cross looks like in America? What is the folly? What is the weakness and all that sort of stuff that the cross is facing? And we need to preach that week in, week out until our people are like, yep, that's my identity. My identity is the cross of Christ. Uh, aside from all the other things we're trying to find identity in, it's the cross of Christ. I've been buried with him, raised in newness of life. 
I'm going to walk forward in that. So I think we need to preach that week in, week out and comfort our people with that and encourage our people with that. And so when we do wake up in the morning, we're like, yeah, I'm embraced the cross. Like, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the early Christians, at least I, I think I remember this from seminary, Mike Williams telling us that like, you know, they'd, they'd cross themselves in the morning being identified with that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you get out of bed, you cross yourself in the morning, be like, okay, this is what I'm carrying out to the world. I'm dead to myself. And actually kind of a cool thing I was reading a long time ago, but it stuck in my head, a book by Michael Horton called it In the Face of God. But he had a section in there from Alexander Solzhenitsyn's The Gulag Archipelago, if I'm, Archipelago, yeah. Archipelago, if I'm mm-hmm. saying that right. But in there, um, it talks about the people who are able to keep sane in the camps when the Warrens who already reckon themselves dead by arriving there. The ones who try to hang on to their lives are the ones who'd go insane while they're there. So I think there's an element that if you've reckoned yourself dead to sin, dead to this world, and alive to Christ, you can go out to the world and as the guards torture you and mock you and ridicule and spit upon you, you're kind of like, I'm well adjusted, but it's the person who's hanging on to their American lifestyle that no longer exists. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, uh, I think, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bruce Springsteen has a song like, those jobs ain't coming back. So like being in the Rust Belt, uh, Cleveland, Ohio is not coming back. You know what I mean? So like, so if you're trying to hold on to uh, the Rust Belt a hundred years ago and you hope that that town comes back, it's just not. So how do you die to that? and become a new person, you know what I mean, and, and follow Christ. So I think that's the th- I think that's what's facing us. I think that's the remedy is obviously the cross of Christ and his resurrection. Uh, so there's that. Um, regarding books on shelves from fallen people, because I, I see it, you have tons of books on your shelves from a <laughs> of scoundrels yeah. of church history. T- uh, um, well, four, four maybe. Uh, <laughs> so. But it's a question that's come up even in our church library. Uh, do we remove these books from pastors because of what's happened in their life and shipwrecking their ministry over over failures? Uh, you know, the books have good content. Are they disqualified as well, just like the minister is? Yeah. So I was obviously in one breath, the answer is no. Um, as reformed people, we don't believe that the efficacy of the message rests on the faithfulness of the minister. So even Paul in Philippians chapter one says, I don't care what someone's motive is. Um, some preach Christ out of love. Others preach Christ out of selfish ambition. I don't care what the motive is as long as the gospel's preached. So the efficacy of the sacraments, the efficacy of the gospel is not predicated upon those men. Um, but on the flip side, there is something to the uh, scandal, like God's name is blasphemy among the Gentiles because of you. So if God's name is blasphemy among the Gentiles because of Ravi Zacharias, I think we should remove him as a witness to the world. And that doesn't mean that you, if you've read his books, doesn't mean the stuff in there is bad, doesn't mean it's wrong, uh, just means that God's name is now blasphemy because of him and his now name is now associated with that. And, you know, who knows what his ultimate fate and all that sort of jazz is. But I think from a witness to the world standpoint, I think it's wise mm-hmm. to um, uh, kind of, you know, take their, take their names down, especially, especially because there are certain cultural sins, um, that like something like that, like abuse is such a prominent, Mm -hmm. uh, any abuse of power is such a prominent cultural phenomena that I do think part of our witness to the world is, is like, yeah, we're not people grasping for power. That's not Mm -hmm. who we are. Um, and so we should be able to be willing to take, um, I think take their books down. Um, so. All right, let me pause for a minute. When I clear, I'm going to clear my shelf out here real quick. No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. So basically, right, I got I, I have the I have, I have the Bible left. That's all yeah. I got left. Uh, but but even if we're consistent, what's kind of funny if you uh, yeah, and here's what you have to realize: the end game with a lot of this abuse and this angling is is now David's accused of sexual abuse. You know what I mean? And so so he's a rapist now, depending on what circles you're in. And so are we going to get rid of the Psalms? You know what I mean? So so we have to understand. Uh, have some wisdom in what game is the enemy playing and it's going to appeal to self-righteousness to ultimately get back at the Bible. So, so 
don't think that if we just get rid of all the books, they're going to listen to us. You know what I mean? Uh, so, so I do think there needs to be an element of wisdom of understanding the game of chess that they're playing. What they want to do is, in turn, the moves is to get to you, to David, to get you. And, you know, we, you can give the Christian answer like, oh, nobody in the Bible is a hero. You know what I mean? It's it's Jesus. And that's true. But we still have to be realistic about, you know, what is going on culturally of what are they trying to get at? And I do think Satan is the ultimate, most self-righteous person. That's why the Pharisees who are children of the devil paraded their righteousness before men. And so don't think of Satan with his head spinning around and vomiting like some 70s Hollywood movie, but it's the parading of self-righteousness and the parading of morality uh, that is m- far more satanic than uh, the head spinning around and the, and the somebody floating above a bed sort of thing. So keep that in mind. And what was the, the third question? Something about my future? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask 2B before I get to okay. 3. Okay. Uh, on campus, you said one of the big pushbacks that you get is, is when you say Jesus is the only only way to be saved. I mean, Jesus says it. Uh, we read it in Acts as well. Uh, we're in Easter week. Why is Jesus the only way to be saved? As, as far as it being an arrogant statement, which it's not. Uh, and that's how it comes across. But why is he the only way to be saved? Yeah. So, so I would say it's it's not arrogant at all from there, there are two things. The person who says that's arrogant, it's reasonable to ask them, well, what's true? Because if they don't know what's true, they can't tell you, well, you don't know that Jesus is in the way. So, so if I'm just like, hey, you're wrong. Why am I wrong? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, so they can't critique you from a vacuum. And then what you've actually kind of find, it's actually them being arrogant by, because they want to be as exclusive as you. They just sound like they're going to be more open. So they're going to exclude you in it. So I think that's one of the things we have to have to realize, but I would say it's not arrogant from this standpoint. If, even if you're just playing like a conditional game, if there is only one true living God, it's not unreasonable to say that the God who made your mouth can speak. The God who made your ears can hear. The God who made your eyes can see. And that it's not unreasonable at all that if we're made in God's image, that he can speak and reveal himself to us. And so if God has done that, um, it's reasonable that God can require us to worship him a certain way. And then the flip side of that, given human rebellion, it's pretty reasonable to think that we can can create idols and worship things that are not the true and living God. As if there is a God and there are atheists that exist and polytheists that exist and all this sort of stuff, it's pretty obvious that there are um, a myriad of beliefs. So the mere appeal to a plurality of beliefs doesn't show that one's wrong, just shows, okay, we have a bunch of options here. It doesn't tell us who's right or who's wrong, nor does it demonstrate the truth of pluralism. So uh, so anyway, going all the way back, I would just say the, the biblical narrative is that there's only one God who can be worshipped, and the idea that Jesus Christ fulfilled the Old Testament promises, and through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and even in the garden, Jesus says, Father, if possible, pass this cup for me. If there is some other way of salvation, even if you just take the Christian story on its own terms, it's somewhat disrespectful to the Christian story to say, oh, well, there's many ways, because at, at the very least, respect it on its own terms, say, nope, this is the only way of salvation. So if sin's the problem, and if death is the enemy, where has it been conquered? I'd say in the cross of Christ, sin and death has been conquered. And through his resurrection, we can now be justified. So far from being arrogant, I think it's the humble position to say, no, there's a God who can reveal himself. And we can really know what he desires. Whereas I think the arrogant thing, which initially sounds humble, the arrogant thing to say, yes, there's an omnipotent God, but he does not have the power to reveal himself to us. That to me is far more arrogant than the person saying, yep, there's an omnipotent God. And he's spoken clearly in creation, in our conscience and in the Bible. And we all know there's sin, we all know there's death, and we have to somehow remedy it. So I think it's I think it is comports with reality and it's actually humble to accept the world as it is rather than uh, trying to rearrange the world to escape your guilt. Again, evangelist Keith Darrell, we appreciate you joining us. And the last question has to do with uh, 
what do the weeks ahead look like for you? And again, how can people get in contact with you if they want to keep up with your ministry, uh, donate, pray for you? Uh, what do the weeks ahead look like? Yeah, so I have maybe uh, till the end of May, middle of May uh, of preaching. So about roughly one more month, I'll be in Colorado, Oregon, uh, Washington, I believe, and hopefully Montana. Uh, finish out the semester uh, just preaching. Uh, coming, I'm kind of excited coming into Easter, coming out of each Easter, just a good reminder, what I'm out there to do. Uh, preaching the death, burial, and resurrection. And it's one of those things that's pretty fresh. If you go and you read the book of Acts, like what they're, what's going on there, and I'm stealing this a little bit from uh, Gordon Fee, but he's like, uh, he's he's like, what's what's really going on there is like, you think of the day of Pentecost, like, hey, you know that Jesus of Nazareth? You know him, the one that, that you guys crucified? Uh, it's his death, his burial, his resurrection. He's the Messiah of the world. And they're talking about this very recent event. Like, here's something that happened 40 days ago. That one that you killed, 50 days ago, the one that you killed and crucified, he was resurrected. God has made him both Lord and Christ. And it's it's all very like, like, uh, physical and present. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it's not just abstract theology, just abstract theory. It's like, no, this Jesus that we were just hanging out with, you killed him. He's been resurrected. He's Lord of all. So coming into good Friday, coming out of Easter, just a good reminder that that's what I'm preaching. Like, and he's, he's the remedy to America. Democracy can't save us. Trump can't save us. Biden can't save us. Socialism, capitalism, it's Christ who's the savior. So coming out preaching that I'm excited about. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, campuspreacher.com is the easiest way. There's a contact form there. My phone number's on there and I could use financial support. So if you are interested in financially supporting the cause and one thing, Lord willing, hopefully sooner than later, what we'll do, I, I, I've been thinking about it for years, have not done it, but I want to buy a home to do something along the lines of Labrie, if you've ever heard of uh, Labrie and Francis Schaeffer's ministry. If not, Google that. We're hoping to do something like that in Northern Idaho. So even if you'd be interested in helping the cause along those lines, that'd be great. All right, Evangelist Keith Darrell, thanks again. Thanks for having me.